Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. As we turn to hear from the Lord, let's uh, go to Him and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we come before Your Word, we ask that You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to know, hearts to embrace, and hands to work out your truth. May your word that we will read and your word that we will consider strengthen us with patience and endurance to run the race set before us. And Father, while we are running, may we rest in the confidence that the good work begin in us will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, that you could kind of learn a lot just by reading the title of some old sermons, uh, uh, long titles. Well, I like to read old letters as well, uh, letters of John Newton in particular. And it's amazing to see what you can learn just from how he ends his letter, how he has that salutation. He, he uh, affectionately, your brother and fellow laborer in the ministry of the gospel, John Newton, or words to that effect. It, it, it's amazing. Um, I don't think people close letters like they used to anymore. Now it's sincerely, right? Sincerely yours, best regards, best wishes, And now it's quite common, best. I really haven't figured that out yet. Um, Do you fill in the blank? Like they say best and you just put whatever you want after that. It's interesting. Um, But there's another common ending, especially maybe among professing Christians, blessings, blessings. It sure takes a lot less time to write that or to type that or to say that than, you know, the long title. But blessings is interesting, right? Because it it expresses a common desire of all people. Everyone wants blessings, in this case for others, but they want blessings for themselves as well. We all know something is wrong, and so we want things to be right. We want blessings. We want joy in life. Joy to the world, we're on week number three of a four-week series to unpack and expose the biblical truth found in the hymn. We're using the hymn as a launching point into the scriptures. Now, this morning when I checked email, sometimes it's not a great idea to check it early on a Sunday morning, but I did, and DSW Shoes has got me. You know, they send out several emails a day, it seems like. And this morning, the subject line of the email from DSW was shoes that bring joy to your world. Shoes that bring joy to your world. Well, I think we, we, we're going to have something better to say than a pair of shoes can bring joy to your world. How about the central theme of joy to the world, that there is great joy in the Lord's coming, in his rule, in his blessing, and in his favor. Isaac Watts, 
the father of English hymnody, the one who wrote uh, supposedly around 600 and 750 hymns. He wrote this. It was in a collection of hymns in 1719. The Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Again, you learn a lot from a long title. We get away with Trinity hymnal or hymns modern and ancient, but not Isaac Watts. No, he wants to tell you something about his collection of hymns. And Psalm 98 provides the basis for joy to the world. He is rewriting the Psalms. He is imitating the Psalms, but with the reality that Christ has come. He's looking back at the Psalms through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of Christ having come. Earlier this week on the 13th of December, I've been reading a J.C. Ryle evening and morning kind of devotions. And the other day on the 13th, uh, when he was speaking of Luke 24, uh, Jesus explaining to his disciples after his resurrection, but the scriptures all point to me. Everything written is about me. Some editor said this of, of, of Ryle's devotion. He said, without Christ, the Old Testament is a mass of untied loose ends. Let me repeat that again. Without Christ, the Old Testament is a mass of untied loose ends. Thank God for the New Testament. Thank God for the tying up of the loose ends. And in a way, that's what Watts is doing. He's tying up the loose ends by viewing Psalm 98 through the lens of Christ. Listen again to Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, that's the first three verses of the original joy to the world. But we pick it up in verse four through the end. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Joy to the world, as the title suggests, is a very jubilant him. But I think verse 3 that we're looking at today is really the triumphant note of the hymn because it makes known the reason why Jesus Christ is come, that is, has come and will come again. You see, great joy is found in the blessing that the coming of Jesus brings to the world as seen in the blessing's declaration as well as in its demand. So let's look first at the fact, the reality, the good news, that there is great joy in the declaration of his blessing. Why did Jesus Christ come? Now, this is the main question that this third verse answers. 
Why did Jesus come? We read in the words of Isaac Watts, to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Why did Jesus come? To make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, in order to better understand this, we need to first ask two more basic questions that the hymn text raises. First, let's consider the curse. What is the curse? Well, we heard from Genesis 3 about the fall of man into sin and the the curse. Sin entered humanity. Corruption entered creation. And what was innocent became guilty. You see, this is the story that explains why things go wrong and why people do wrong. Chapter 3 is not only the fall of man into sin, but it's God's response. It's the curse. God's response to sin. We heard the curse on the serpent, on the woman, on the man, and the entire earth. When the law was given under Moses, attached to that covenant, that, that agreement, that relationship between God and his people that was made at Sinai, there are both positive and negative sanctions. In other words, there's the good and the bad. There's the blessing and the curse. Uh, listen to Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28 again. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse... If you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Deuteronomy 11 simplifies it. Blessing and curse. And Deuteronomy 28 is an entire chapter devoted to blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And yet we've got to back up and go back to Genesis 3 and remember the promise. The promise, the first gospel, the proto-gospel, the seed of the woman, that would be Christ, will bruise or crush the head of the serpent or Satan. And in doing so, he himself will have his heel bruised in the process. But it's a promise of a coming one that's going to, as it were, reverse the curse. Second, we need to consider what are the blessings. We've just spent a moment thinking about the curse. Well, what are the blessings? What are the blessings of Jesus Christ already? We heard it from Ephesians 1. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Whenever Scripture uses always, never, uh, every We should pay attention. Every spiritual blessing. Our shorter catechism is is helpful. Question 32. it it, It asks, what benefits are there to those who are effectually called receive? What benefits do those who are called by the gospel receive? All the benefits of his work, such as justification, adoption, and sanctification. Well, what's justification? Being declared right with God. What's adoption? Being received and restore uh, and welcomed into the family of God with God as your father. And what is sanctification? 
being renewed and restored slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ. And then a few questions and answers later, question 36 said, what other benefits come along with uh, justification, adoption, and sanctification? And what we read is there is assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace and perseverance to the end. And what's interesting is uh, that little uh, uh, that little copy of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, it has not only the text, but it has kind of a commentary running along with it. And for those two questions about benefits that believers receive, it says the blessings that believers receive. Benefits are blessings. But how were these blessings achieved? Of course, through the work of Christ, And that meant God becoming man and doing for man what man could never do for himself. In other words, it meant the incarnation. Remember Jesus in Mark 10 is in a discussion with his disciples and he said, Hey, the Gentiles lorded over people, but not so among you. The last are going to be first. The first last are going to need to be a servant to all. And he says this about himself, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's what Rob said. He was born to die. He was born to give his life as a ransom for many. We heard in, in Galatians that, that he came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The reason the Son of God appeared, John says in his first letter, was to destroy the works of the devil. You see, the work of Christ, in this case, was to remove the curse by becoming a curse. To remove the curse by becoming a curse. Uh, Look back with me to Galatians. It was actually chapter 3 that we read. Listen to verses 13 through 14 again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's as if the one who became the incarnation, the one who is the incarnation of the glory of God, became the incarnation of the curse. Let that sink in a bit. The the one who became the incarnation of the glory of God and the grace of God and the righteousness of God and the power of God, he, he becomes the incarnation of God. Of the curse. Listen to how Paul ends his fifth chapter in his second letter to the Corinthians church. For our sake, God the Father made him, that is the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we, we just looked at how are these blessings achieved through the work of of Christ. Well, how are these blessings received? In other words, how does the there and then of what Jesus Christ did in history become the here and now in your life? 
in my life, in your story? How do these blessings come to us? How are they received? In a word, by responding to the gospel in repentance, that is turning from sin and faith, that is turning to God. And thus, the coming of Christ brings joy not only to the world in general, the common grace aspects of God's kindness, but the coming of Christ brings joy to your world in particular. What are some examples right now of the curse in your life? Work, relationships. What, what are some examples of the curse? I, I happen to think that if you look at Genesis 3 and what happened between our first parents, it's almost as if the curse really disrupted relationships. You know, was it the riots in L.A. back in, what, 1992? Why can't we get along? The curse. Well, let's, let's don't go down into darkness here. What are some examples of blessing in your life? Those spiritual blessings in Christ. Where have you seen not curse, but rather blessing in your life? It's a good exercise. Well, in this third verse, Watts declares something to to be believed. Uh, Christ comes, what, to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. But we also see something, interestingly, to be done. Well, what's that? Well, it's there in the first part of the verse, right? Before we hear... He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What do we read? What do we sing? We sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Now, this could be viewed as a declaration of the work of Christ as well. But I think upon reflection, it may be better understood as a demand to stop the growth, to, to oppose the increase of sin. In other words, to fight, to fight sin, to fight the curse. Now, how can there be great joy in, in this demand? Well, let's look now at this great joy that's in the de- de- demand of his blessing. I mean, how does the call to fight sin, sorrows, and thorns bring joy? Well, I want us to think about our role and God's role when it comes to his blessings. You see, scripture is pretty clear. God gives us faith. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not achieved. It's given. But we do the believing. God doesn't, as it were, believe for us. God opens our ears to hear the truth of the gospel, but we do the hearing. You see, God gives us the blessing in Christ, but my friends, we act on it. The Christian life is not let go and let God. Well, 
Maybe it is if you're just thinking about holding onto the steering wheel. If that's the case, then that might be a good expression. You know, yeah, take your hands off the steering wheel and trust that God is steering your life. But let go and let God can, can give affirmation and encouragement and blessing, as it were, to a life of passivity, of pretty much sitting around and doing nothing. Faith is not sitting around doing nothing. Faith is exposed and expressed by doing. And often faith is exposed and expressed by waiting, praying, and working. I don't know about you, but I go to Psalm 127 fairly often. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. My friends, absolutely, God's got to build the house. But you know what that verse also says? We're laboring. We're building. It goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over the city, those who uh, watch lie awake in vain. Yeah, God's got to protect us. But maybe we need to stay awake and watch as he protects us. You know, when we labor, when we work, and when we do things for the Lord, we expect him to work. I mean, faith is optimistic. Faith is not pessimistic. Faith, we believe God. We trust him. In James 2, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James goes on to say, you show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. Are Paul and um, uh, James contradictory? Absolutely not. They're just addressing two different issues and starting from two different places. I mean, Paul, even in Ephesians 2, after saying grace by, saved by grace through faith, what does he say? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he purposed beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, hey, I planted and my fellow gospel laborer, Apollos, he watered. But you know what? God caused the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who causes the growth. So there's our role along with God's role when it comes to his blessing. But where's the joy? Well, first, we need to consider the comprehensiveness of the curse. Life in a fallen world. I mean, sin is outside of us and sin is still in us. We are both victim and we are offender. You know, do we, I mean, if, if we're in a courtroom, I mean, we go back and forth, right? We're either, we're either being prosecuted for, for, for sinning or we're being defended for being sinned against. We're on both sides. Sorrows. Oh my. Suffering. Sadness. No more let sins and sorrows grow. I've been in your homes. I've been at your places of work. I've been on the phone. I know some of you, even right now, are in the midst of great sorrow. Sadness. Thorns, oh, 
Watts throws thorns in. The difficulty of life. Things are just a mess. The comprehensiveness of the curse. It's everywhere. But how joy? Well, we need to also consider the comprehensiveness of the blessings of Christ. He makes his blessings flow where? Far as the curse is found. My friends, how far is too far? Jerry Bridges in the book, The Discipline of Grace, says, you're not so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace, and you're not so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Sin is big, Scripture says, but Scripture also says, God says, grace is bigger. What does Paul say to the Roman church where sin increased, grace abounded, grace superabounded. In Psalm 32, we read that God is more ready to forgive than we are to confess. I mean, do we believe that? Do we believe that we can run to God and that he is more ready to forgive us than we are to confess? Well, Scripture pretty much says that. Do we believe it? And notice what Watts says. He makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He does not say he makes his blessings known far as the curse is found. That is true, right? But what does Isaac Watts say? He makes his blessings flow. There's a movement to his blessings it, it, it reaches us. It's, it's at the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The Hebrew there is like it is a hound dog that will track you down. He makes his blessings flow. It's kind of like Jonathan Edwards says, the great American theologian, president of Princeton College, He said it's one thing to know that honey tastes sweet, right? You read a definition of honey. It's sweet. It's another thing to taste it and to know that honey is sweet. What I think Watts is doing is he's wanting us to realize that as much as the curse is everywhere, so also is God's blessing. And wherever the curse is, God's blessing is as well. You see, this demand brings great joy, I believe, because God gives both the motive to fight and the power to fight. With the motive, uh, the imperatives are are grounded in the indicatives. And we see that in Scripture. In a moment, we're going to use the Heidelberg Catechism question and answers one and two. And question two And the answer, it it talks about guilt, grace, and gratitude. And that forms the entire entire, uh, outline of the Heidelberg Catechism. that, That there's our guilt because of sin, but there's God's grace in Jesus Christ. And then there's our life of gratitude, our response. So we're going to talk a bit more about motive and indicative imperative in just a moment. But the power... In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, because of grace, I worked harder. It's interesting, right? 
You think Paul's going back to the law, trying to get his approval with God based on what he does? Absolutely no. No. Paul's all of grace, but he says, I worked harder. But then he says right after that, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. Remember in Titus 2, it's on our banner, the grace of God has appeared. Grace trains us to say no to sin and yes to a godly life, a self-controlled, upright life. Grace is robust. Grace is powerful. Grace doesn't, grace meets us where we are, but it doesn't leave us where we are. Our church father, Augustine, command what you will and will what you command. He's saying that God, what he requires, he provides. And so both the motive for joy and the power for joy are found in the grace of God. Now, now how can this demand bring great joy? My friends, I believe there is great joy in this demand that his blessing brings because in our fight against sin, in our fight against sorrow and thorns, we have no other choice but to turn and flee to Christ. That's why I've so appreciated the confession of sin today. We, We don't have any other choice but to run to Jesus. You see, we run to him and it is in the presence of Christ that there is fullness of joy. It's Psalm 16. In your presence, the psalmist writes, is fullness of joy. And Watts gets it. He's looking at Psalm 98 through the lens of Christ. Well, the declaration and the demand. Although in verse 3 of the hymn, the demand comes before the declaration, in the Bible, the declaration precedes the demand. You see, the announcement of blessing comes prior to and provides the foundation for the call of blessing. It's, once again, the grammar of the gospel. The indicative, these things are true, gives rise to the imperative. These things, therefore, you are called to do. One scholar said that that. that The gospel begins with the triumphant indicative. It doesn't begin with the triumphant imperative. That would give us no hope. So I want us to remember three dominant, inescapable, supremely important truths about the blessing of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the incarnate Son of God that he brings to the world. Three things. First, The blessing of Jesus flows far as the curse is found. In other words, grace tracks sin down and kills it. Have you guys ever, I don't know about you all, but in my dreams, and maybe they're nightmares, I'm in a situation and I can't get out, or it's Groundhog Day, right, over and over again. But the most terrifying thing is, is when you're running away from something that's going to harm you and you are trying to get away, but you know it's coming and it will get you, right? But then hopefully you wake up, right? Before that happens. But imagine grace tracking you down 
and its speed is faster than you can get away. What good news. What good news. So first, the blessing of Jesus flows as far as the curse is found, and the blessing of Jesus flows downhill. There's a holy gravity. Who stands at the foot of the cross? The lowly, the humble. And thirdly, the blessing of Jesus brings great joy to the world. And it's the world inhabited only by those who humble themselves before God, by those who both know their sin, but also know their Savior. Right before he was betrayed, Jesus said this to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Back to letter writing. And what is said to end a letter. My friends, you can think of Scripture, the Bible, as a letter God writes to his people. And what's the closing of this letter? You got to look at the final two chapters the return of Christ at the end of the age, the second advent. That's, of course, the focus of Watts' hymn, the second advent. Revelation 21 speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. No more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more sin, sorrows, or thorns. In Revelation 22, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. Or as one translation puts it, there will no longer be any curse. In other words, the curse is done away with. And in the words of another hymn of Watts, Jesus shall reign, hymn number 441 in our hymnal, it's based on Psalm 72. This is what Watt says. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. He makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. My friends, countless blessings brings with it triumphant joy that can be joy in the midst of fighting sin, fighting sorrows, fighting thorns. Rejoice that as comprehensive as the curse is, as prevalent as the curse is, God's grace in Jesus Christ is more comprehensive, more prevalent. There is indeed joy to the world. Is there joy in your world because of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that if we look at Scripture, we realize that we are so wicked and sinful that Jesus, he had to die for us. And yet we also, as we read Scripture, we acknowledge that we were so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us. Indeed, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy set before him as he headed to the cross. Jesus took your curse 
so that we could receive your blessing. What an amazing exchange as Jesus is both our substitute and our sacrifice. Oh, Father, may these hymn lyrics that we have looked at and may the scriptures that we have heard, may they take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our suffering Savior and our risen and reigning Lord for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.